0: Amen. Well, Merry Christmas to you all. Happy Lord's Day as well. I hope you feel merry. I hope this Christmas tree and the wonderful Christmas hymns help to remind you of how much we have to be grateful for. Amen. Amen. I love Christmas. I hope you do as well. So today we're going to continue in our loosely, our loose series of Christmas messages And we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 39. But before we go to that, I want to ask the Holy Spirit for help. So let's pray. Father, we know that without the power of your Spirit given to us as our inheritance from the throne, that without the Spirit we are nothing but religious shells, Having a form of godliness, but with no power. And we pray that that would be the last thing that would ever happen to any of us here this morning. We pray that your spirit would illuminate the word. Behold, uh, show us wondrous things from your word. Open up our eyes that we might see the glorious light of the Christmas message of your gospel. And that way, we, we might be, and our world might be, transformed in response. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's name. And all who agree, would you say amen? Amen. amen. So you may not know this, but the word Christmas comes from the word Christ Mass. And of course, you all know, you know what a Mass is. You've grown up in Acadiana, most of you. Um, mass comes from a Latin word, which means to send. It's a a word we get in English, the word mission from. So Christ, Christmas is Christ's mass, Christ sent, Christ sent, Christ sent on mission to earth. And of course, he comes to earth through the portal of a virgin womb, right? It's an amazing story, really. That's the Christmas message but before christ was sent before christmas before anyone experienced the culmination of the prophecies and the promises you know he's coming to israel and we just saying as that we put ourselves in the shoes of israel expecting the coming king before he came and before he inaugurated his ministry at the jordan river before He laid down His life as an atonement and defeated death and Satan and sin and became the emperor over the universe in His ascension, before all of that, before Christmas, the Holy Spirit was already here preparing the way. That's right. Before Christ was sent, the Holy Spirit was sent. No, not in the same way that He is sent by Christ in Pentecost, but He was certainly down here on earth Making way for Christmas. So today I want, to, you know, I want to introduce you to the real, the true spirit of Christmas. Right? In other words, I want to put the Holy Spirit back in Christmas. We all want to put Christ back in Christmas. Well, this morning I want to put the Holy Spirit back in Christmas. And I think that will be helpful and, and, and fresh for us to think on and meditate on this Christmas. Amen? So let's look at Luke chapter 1. Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And Mary entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Now, you know, Elizabeth and Zechariah are the parents of John the Baptist. They're related to Mary. Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb. Isn't that something? And Elizabeth Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. See, I told you the Holy Spirit was there. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. She's uttering a prophecy inspired by the Holy Spirit here. Blessed are you, Mary, among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? In other words, why do I get to celebrate Christmas? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So we have an inspired interpretation of the purpose of the leap. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed is Mary, who believed the gospel. Wow. So Christmas comes to the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Not unlike the way it comes to us, honestly. But the Spirit was already there, present, preparing the way. Right? So that when Jesus arrived, the baby John leaped. And what was the purpose of his leap, or, or what was the The engine of his leap, what drove him to leap in the womb? Christmas joy. And joy, of course, is one of the many fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy. Uh, Isn't that something, though? I mean, we think, and this is not the point of my sermon, but we have a pre-born human, baby boy, filled with the Holy Spirit, and leaping in the womb for Christmas joy. Now take that truth and receive it into your heart and in whatever way it is not compatible with your worldview, deconstruct your worldview. Okay? Let that wine burst your wineskins. Because if you don't, that truth will go through you undigested. You must receive that in faith. A baby before it was born, was filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God, such that when he came into the presence of Jesus, or when I should say when Jesus came into the presence of him, he leaped in the womb for joy. Was that a one-time occurrence? I don't know. It doesn't say. But we at least know it's possible for them babies to leap for joy in response to external joyful circumstances. Isn't that something? I suppose it's also possible from the, the kick in anger, right? <laughs> so maybe some of those kicks are happy kicks, and some of them are not-so-happy kicks. So, But how can this be? You know, how can this be? Well, it's in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. A little earlier in the chapter, it says, For John the Baptist, that's how we know him, he... Will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. Now, this is referring to the Nazarite vow. It was a vow that someone could take to consecrate them for a unique and special purpose for a particular period of time. Paul took a Nazarite vow in the book of Acts, and I believe Jesus takes a Nazarite vow when he says, I will no longer drink this wine with you until I come in my kingdom. But John here is not taking a Nazarite vow. He is born a Nazarite, like Samuel and like Samson. And this means that John the Baptist never drank wine, and he never ate raisins, and he never ate grapes, and a razor never touched his head, not his hair, nor his beard. He was going to be, by the Lord's calling, um, a unique purpose, a unique man with a unique purpose. Not so much of the socializing type, if you will. Not great at a party. I mean, God has established His life so that He is really a buzzkill, right? Literally, hairy head and hairy beard, camel skin and locusts. He is a Nazarite. He is set aside for a unique purpose from the womb. So this is not the point of my sermon, but you can see not only is a baby in the womb filled with the Holy Spirit and responding to the Christmas message in joy, physically. More than many church people these days, honestly. When was the last time you saw a church person leap for joy? It's rare, right? Not only that, he has a special calling, a special vocation assigned to him sovereignly by God before he even makes it out into the world. Wow. Is it possible that our children have unique callings and vocations that God has assigned to them before their birth? It's not only possible, it's absolutely certain for he has designed each and every one of us, having ordained the good works that we will walk in, long before we're ever born. Right? Wow. Hard to believe in abortion and be a Christian. Right? Not, a, not hard, it's impossible. It's impossible. But that's not the point of my sermon. Let's move on. Not only is he called to a unique purpose, he is filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Wow. Before Christmas, the Holy Spirit was preparing the way. All right. Before Jesus ever arrived in the home of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Holy Spirit was already there, laying the ground, doing the dirt work, if you will. All right, Doing the dirt work so that when Jesus comes through that door, John leaps for joy. He's ready to receive him. Wow. But the Spirit was doing more, wasn't He? He was not only making ready John. He was called by the Father and commanded by the Father to make ready an entire people. That's right. It's in Luke chapter 1, verse 16. Notice, and He, John the Baptist, not in human strength, But in the power of the Holy Spirit that he received in the womb of of Elizabeth, he, John, the Holy Spirit, using him as his vessel, will turn, say that with me, he will do what? He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, not all, but many. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. For what purpose is all this Holy Spirit turning? To make, say that word, ready for the Lord a people prepared for Christmas. Isn't that something? Wow. The Spirit was to make ready the heart of John the heart of Elizabeth, and an entire people. The Spirit still does that to this day. The Spirit can and does make ready people to truly celebrate and enjoy Christmas. Could He make ready a town? Could He make ready a nation? Could He make ready a world? Absolutely. It's, in fact, one of the gospel promises. But He can most certainly make your heart ready to enjoy Christmas, to receive Christ, right? Now, it says here it would be like in the days of Elijah. And so I want to explain that just real quick. Elijah was like me sometimes, and many of you, uh, feeling downcast, feeling as though his labors are in vain, feeling as though he and his small little group of friends are the only Christians in the planet. And there was a time when he was underneath the broom tree in the middle of nowhere, hiding for his life from Ahab and Jezebel, when he had really got his sulk on. And God sent angels to minister him, right? Gave him some food, some comfort food, some real comfort food, right? And reminded him that you're not the only one, Elijah. I've prepared a people. I have a remnant. There's been 7,000 who have not yet kneeled to Baal. And of course, 7,000 is a number of perfection. He doesn't mean literally 7,000, but a host of people out there, right? A silent people made ready to receive and to follow and submit to the king. See, what happened in the days of Elijah is what would happen in the days of John the Baptist, the, the, the ultimate Elijah. As you know, uh, Elijah was hunted by Ahab and his controlling wife Jezebel. And John was hunted by Herod and his controlling wife Herodias. It's all uh, the, it's the same story told in two different ways. But John the Baptist is filled by the Spirit. He has a mission to prepare a people And he does that, of course, through the preaching of of God's word. Amen? The Holy Spirit prepared the hearts of the people for Christmas. So I have to ask you this question. Have you, as an individual, okay, now I could apply this to Acadiana or to the nation or the world, but I want to apply it to, to you as an individual this morning. Has your heart been prepared to leap for joy at the news of Christmas? Have you been made ready to receive Christ at some point in your life? I don't mean has a preacher presented to you all the arguments. Though I'm glad that some do, right? I don't mean have you ever experienced an epic church service. I don't mean have you ever had a, an emotional high where, where, you know, you threw the pine cone in the campfire and, and you made an autonomous decision to follow Jesus for the 17th time. You know, I, we, this is things that some of us have done in our youth, right? I don't mean any of that. Underneath all of that, in the invisible realm, in your inner heart, has the Holy Spirit made you ready to receive Christ. Apart from the Holy Spirit's work in your heart, there can be no Christmas. There can be no reception of joy. There can certainly be no leaping of joy. There can only be a form of godliness that lacks power. That's what the Apostle Paul referred to, religion without the Holy Spirit. It has the form of godliness. You know what the form means, right? It's the structure, the framework, right? The exoskeleton. Without the Holy Spirit, we might all look at you and say, well, now that's a a beetle down there because you have the exoskeleton of a beetle. But without the Holy Spirit, you're like a beetle with his insides sucked out by a spider. No life on the inside, no movement, no energy. Just a shell of a religious person. A facade, pews and church services included. It's a sober thing. It's something that at least once a year, you've got to ask yourself, has my heart received Holy Spirit resurrection power? Has the Holy Spirit ever awakened me from my sleepiness to truly delight in and see the beauty of Christ? Or am I just a religious person going through the motions? And I sure do like Pastor Brandon's sermons because he tells it like it is and he really can show us the, the exegesis of the passage. All of which without the Spirit is Hogwash. And useless. Has the Spirit made your heart ready to receive the King? To enjoy Him? To leap when He is presented to you? Now I don't mean, and this is especially for some of you born in a Christian home, I don't mean do you remember when that started to happen? I don't remember when that started to happen in my life. As far back as I can remember, I believed in Jesus. As far back as I can remember, I wanted to obey his commandments because I was made ready to receive him at an early age, uh, so early that I can't remember when it happened. But some of you, of course, having lived a a life of debauchery for a few decades, certainly saw the turn, if you will, right? That's great, but that's not what we want for our children, right? (laughs) We want our children to be raised in the Lord, in the fear and admonition of the Lord, so that they've always believed in His name, and they've always enjoyed Christmas. But regardless of whether you remember it or not, there was a point in time from conception to now that you were either made ready to receive the, Holy, the, the Christmas message by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your life, what we call regeneration, or that hasn't happened, one or the other. If it hasn't happened then You are an exoskeleton, even if you come to church here every Sunday. You know, I had a a pastor friend, he had a, a dream. Maybe it was a vision, one of those, or a little bit of both, but he had a dream. And in that dream, he walked into the back of a church, and as he walked into the back of the church, he looked out over the pews, and all of the bodies were frozen Literally the frozen chosen, right? (laughs) Shells, exoskeletons, stiff with rigor mortis. And in that dream, he began to pick up the corpses one at a time and walk them out the back door and pile them up in the street. Now, I I don't mean to get into all his personal details, but I told him, I said, we really need to think about this, right? Right? Is this an illustration that the Lord has given you for your calling in life? I, he was certainly going through something like that at the time. But, it, but, but just to think about that vision, that visual, there really are a lot of churches, not to put ourselves on a pedestal, God forbid, but I've been in them and I've seen them and they're in the Bible, churches that are lukewarm, so that when Jesus goes to receive them to himself, he spews them out. There are churches in the Bible and in the world that have a form of godliness but deny the power of because they do not have the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has never made them ready to receive the true king. God forbid that that ever be true of us or or you, right? Have you been, listen carefully, John 13. have you been, Christ's church, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. So have you been born? I'm not talking about your first birth birth, not talking about your genetic line, not blood, nor of the will of the flesh. I'm not talking about that decision that was manipulated out of you during a church service as they pulled all of the strings and laid out all of the techniques to get you to activate your autonomous will and make a decision for Christ for the 32nd time. I'm not talking about that. Though I'm I'm glad if you have made a decision for Christ, we're glad about that, right? I'm talking about before that, way before that. Have you ever been born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but have you been born of God? That is, have you been regenerated by the Holy Spirit? Has he made your heart ready? And of course, heart in Hebrew, in the Hebrew worldview, the heart means your mind and your soul and your spirit and your innermost parts, the invisible parts of who you are, the core of your being, has it been rebirthed, reconsecrated to the Lord so that you are ready to receive him. I know some of you wrestle with whether or not you're a Christian and whether or not you should present yourself to receive the sign of the covenant as a Christian. You're not sure if you are. Well, this sermon is for you. It really is. Without this prep work, having been done, Romans 8, 7, you cannot receive Christ because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. The flesh mind, the first mind, hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. It cannot. So you need to be born again. Amen. Amen. Now this is a in the face to modern man. This is an affront to secularism, to humanism of all stripes, right and left wing. See the secular man believes the earth is good as it is, nature is good as it is, there is no curse, there has been no fall, and man is good like he is. He does not need to be re-consecrated. Rather he needs to be saved from his external circumstances. The problem is out there. The problem is those people. If he could be saved from those people or if the systemic oppressions of society could be reconfigured by a powerful state, then we would ascend to true humanity. Or if you can have your chemicals balanced or if you could be healed through therapy from your trauma, you served as a child from your oppressive patriarchal father. See, this is the humanistic mind, that man does not need to be born again on the deep insides, the core of who he is. He's fine the way he he is. He just needs a little bit of restructuring. And there's a lot of people that go to church as a part of that restructuring. You see what I mean? They go to church because they're trying to become a better them, as one popular Christian book is entitled we're not talking about becoming a better you. We're talking about becoming a new you. Right? We're talking about becoming born again. Now, it is still you. Don't get me wrong. Right? But it's you receiving the power of the Holy Spirit to make you ready for the King and for His service. Has that ever happened to you? Not do you remember it, but has it ever happened to you? You say, well, Pastor Brandon and I, I think it may have. I don't know why else I'd be coming to this church, right? (laughs) You know how much flack I get for coming to this church? I think it's happened for me. Or perhaps you're saying, Pastor Brandon, I don't know if it has or not. My parents drug me here. Right? I'm just waking up. Well, let's look at what the signs of regeneration are. We could spend a three-day seminar on this. We're not going to do that. I'm just going to look at the signs in this text. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. (laughs) And he, John the Baptist, was filled with the Holy Spirit, that he might turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. There's a sign. Have you been turned to the Lord your God? And he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts. Has your heart been turned? Has the core of your being been turned so that you have a completely different perspective, a totally different one hundred and eighty degree trajectory? The heart of your, the the core of your being has been turned, right? and the heart of your being has been turned. The fathers, in particular, to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. That's when you know you've been made ready for the Lord. So, has that happened to you? Has your heart been turned? Has it been turned from disobedience to the wisdom of the just? Which is another way of saying, has your heart been turned to the law of God? And especially to those people whom God has given you who teach the law of God faithfully? Has your heart been turned? Toward that, so that you want to live your life according to God's law, no longer your own law or the world's law. You're curious about it. You're interested in it. You're hungering after that righteousness. And you're seeking first that righteousness of that particular kingdom. Raise your hand if you remember when that turn took place in your life. There's a handful of people. Wow, what a testimony. The Holy Spirit visited you on that day and probably many days before that turning your heart you know i know just because i've been doing this a little while for older people that turning can feel like a like a deconstruction of everything you once knew and that's how it felt for nicodemus he's a religious leader in israel and jesus is saying you must be born again you're saying i got to start all over again you're saying that everything i once knew is totally different that's a wow i'm too old to make all those changes but that's what it feels like. It feels like you're losing all your old friends, but you're gaining this new community that you're a little suspicious of. I mean, I've seen this happen. It's what it feels like. It's what it looks like. You're, you're losing the passion and the ambitions that you once had for the things of this world, and you find yourselves with such domestic, provincial, simple pleasures and desires. Things that the old you would, would, would think are a residue of the patriarchy. Right. Now you, you can't wait to love your little children and be a stay-at-home mom. You can't wait to fulfill God's purposes in your life. You can't wait for things that you once thought were totally ridiculous. Has that happened to you? And now he has gathered you with people you would have never hung out with in high school. People, you would have shoved in a locker. (laughs) And here you are. Has that ever happened? Wow. Your heart has been turned from disobedience to the wisdom of the just. Wow. But it also says that your heart is turned, especially fathers, to their children. We can't let that just pass by. We got to receive that truth. What does that mean? There's a lot here, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but just simply, when the Holy Spirit makes a heart ready, it slowly begins to make a family ready. You know, God moves in, He moves with the grain, so to speak. And so just let me, say, let me ask you, fathers, men, do you have a newfound desire to get married and to have children and to, to place your heart on those children? so that they might be raised up in the Lord, so that you might see successful covenant succession to the next generation and the next generation. Do you have those things in your life? Then that is good evidence that your heart has been turned to the children. And wives, has your heart been turned to what your primary calling is in this world, to that which is domestic, to that which is belittled by the world? That is good evidence that your heart has been turned to the things of God. And I think we can apply this beyond families, but to the church, which is is made up of families, right? Do you find your heart turned towards a new community, a Christian community, a covenantal community? This is what John the Baptist came to do. To prepare a people in the power of the Holy Spirit to reestablish the covenantal family to be faithful in their callings in the domestic everyday life and to obey the law of Jesus. That's how he made ready a people for Christmas. That's how I should say the Holy Spirit made ready the hearts of people. Now, the American spirit, not the Holy Spirit, to be distinguished from the Holy Spirit, the Western The modern, the secular, whatever you want to call it, demon, uh, as opposed to the Holy Spirit, is not pro-family, is anti-domestic, anti-covenant, anti-covenant succession, anti-law of God, anti-obedience, and it is pulling at every single one of you. You can remember in your life when you were pulled and animated by that spirit, can't you? But your heart has been turned, and you, we must do in prayer and in obedience and faithfulness, do everything we can to point our children and the next generation in the same way, that their hearts might be prepared as well, and many of them, I believe, already are. Amen, Christchurch. Look, just to summarize, has your heart been turned to the Word, to your family, to your church, to the people of God, then Merry Christmas to you. It can truly be Mary. And if you're not so sure, if you see this and you see what Elizabeth says when Jesus comes through the door, she says, blessed are you, Mary, among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. If you want to echo that, if you would like to have that bubble up from your heart just naturally, genuinely, authentically, from the Holy Spirit, well... The Holy Spirit is like the wind, Christ church. You don't tell it where to go. It blows where it wills. You can see the effects of it. But the third person of the Trinity blows as he wills. Now he is in the world. That is good. Jesus sent him into the world, poured him out on the day of Pentecost. And he is here with us in this room. And he is a person. He is not a force to tap into or something to manipulate with various religious techniques. But he is someone you can pray to. You can't manipulate him, you can't bribe him or trick him. There's no prayer or mantra or technique or um, marketing sales pitch that I could um, present to you to manufacture him. But you can do this one simple thing. This is for anyone not sure. You can pray and ask for this. Just pray and ask for it. Ask for the spirit to move in your heart. You don't want to be a exoskeleton right? You want to have true resurrection power and spiritual power. Amen, Christ Church. Let's all stand as the musicians come forward. I'll pray for you. We'll all pray for you. Father, we ask that if there is any individual in this room, any child, any infant in the womb, any adult in the last few years of their life, regardless of if there is anyone in this room who has not been made alive by your spirit, we ask that you would sovereignly, lovingly, graciously cause them to be born again. That they might enjoy your word, perhaps for the first time. Understand your word. Desire the teaching of your word. That the, the cobwebs and the sleepiness of their soul might be dispersed by your power. That they might desire your law and, and that they might echo the psalmist saying that they delight in your law and upon it they meditate on it day and night. And pray, Father, for the new birth, of everyone here, especially our children, especially any visitors that might be among us. And I pray that you might even, according to your promises, make ready a for Christmas. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.